Shall we bow for prayer? May the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, Father, you who are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Just about three years ago this month, a news bulletin came out across the wires to the church, but also to the world. April 13th of 13. A young man had taken his life, 27 years old, and because of who he was, and because of his dad, and the ministry that his dad was involved with, immediately it was in the news. And his dad had to prepare an announcement to the church that Sunday morning, the 13th, so that everybody would kind of be aware of what happened. For his son, as he wrote to the church, said, in spite of the best physicians, the best medicine, the best counselors, and all your prayers, the torture of mental illness in his life never subsided. And so Rick Warren's son took his life. Pastor Rick Warren is a pastor in California. Many of you have read some of his material, um, particularly his, um, his book, Purpose Driven Life, which was published in 95, has affected, influenced hundreds of thousands of churches and pastors. Suicide of a son because of mental challenges rocked his life and his family, the church. And for many of us as parents, there's an identification when something like this happens with the what-ifs of life, the insecurities of life. How do you live? How do you carry on with the possibility of things not going the way we all expected, the way we all wanted, as we prayed for our family, our children, our grandchildren? One of the things Rick Warren has written is the following. We can live at one of three levels, a survival level, a success level, or a significance level. We here at Ebenezer are also like a family with parents and loved ones and old and young. We have a history, we have experience, we have a future. We are in transition. And like a family, we're not sure just what the days ahead will bring. How do we handle the future of uncertainty as believers, as a church, as Ebenezer in these days? To live at a significant level in a time of transition in a church that has potential to grow. When a new pastor is being sought, we need to know from experience that the truth lives on. No matter what the outward circumstances, no matter what we may have faced, no matter what may be in our minds or our questioning spirits, the truth lives on. And the evidence that the truth lives on is that it lives on in you who worship here today, who call this your church home, your family. In a sense, the writer of 2 John is writing in a sense, Dear Ebenezer, Dear Ebenezer, 2 John, like 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, written, we believe, by the, the writer to the gospel, is a letter. Um, 
we understand that it's included in the three of them. And uh, uh, studying the three of them is a fantastic experience, I found. And it is a letter addressed to a particular church. It is described briefly and so that it can be used in reference to other churches because it's not really specific. But you can get some things from Second John that the elder is wishing to say to this congregation. And he refers to the church as a lady. Actually, the word that's used, curia, is in the female or in the, in the female tense in the Greek. Typically, curios is in the male. And when we translate curios throughout the Bible, it's master. Uh, it's a reference to Jesus often. It's a reference to someone who's in leadership. You could translate it Lord. But in this one instance in the New Testament, this elder uses the word in the female tense. To the lady chosen by God. And we all like the idea, especially those of us that are men. We like the idea of referring to the things closest to us in the female. I mean, we talk about our car as a she, or our boat as a she. The things, our toys are often in the female. It's, it's, oh, it's just, just precious. It's a precious gender when it's used. And so in this time of transition, as we briefly as a church look at this letter, several things about it stand out for me this morning. For the truth lives on, first of all, in us, in you and in me. The truth lives on, he writes, in us. Because of the truth, verse 2, which lives on in us and will be for six months, <laughs> a year? Hang on. Forever. Forever. There's a permanence to what he's saying. The truth lives on in us permanently. Forever. Now, you know, today not much is forever. Death, apparently, I've been told, and you have, death and taxes are about the only two things that go forever. But you know, as we think of Vi's passing, by Bismarck just this last Sunday. There's a forever in her experience right now. This verse has come full circle for her, and she realizes this morning, ah, it is forever. Little story Ron told me this week, her son, last Sunday evening in the hospital where Vi was. Across from her bed was another bed in the room, and that particular bed had someone in it that needed 24-7 care. And so there was someone in the room uh, with that person across in the other side, always with that person in the bed. Well, during the evening last Sunday, from time to time, this caregiver would slip across the aisle to Vi's bed, and they would talk, and they would visit. And this went on through last Sunday in the hospital. Occasionally, these two would talk. And then as Ron tells the story, about sometime Monday morning, the person who was the caregiver realized that Vi hadn't said anything for about a half an hour. And so she walked across to the bed, and Vi had gone home, just like that. What a beautiful 
welcome home. What a neat story. What a great experience. Because the truth lives on in us, and it's permanent forever. In this elder John, he writes to the lady, to the church, and he says the truth lives on in us and in her children. Scattered about, I also bring your children greetings. And I just love that idea. That through the church of Ebenezer, you have children. You have those who've gone on to other ministries, to other life, to other places. The children of Ebenezer. And the writer wants to bring greetings to them through you, through us, to your children, wherever they are. And so the forever has to do with a generational idea, with you and I having our children and them coming to know faith in Christ and living elsewhere and on and living forever. No, uh, it is all those, he gives by definition, who live forever are those who know the truth. That's the phrase in verse 2. Because of the truth. What is the truth this morning? What is the truth? So hard to discover. It was hard for Pilate to discover when he asked Jesus, what is the truth? What is truth? Well, truth is not, it depends. It depends. It is not relative to something else. In our world, the world in which we live, truth is a comparative term. Unfortunately, in our experience, we compare a Chevy to a Ford. In one's better than the other because, what? By comparison. And in my, as a kid in my family, I may have told you this before, in my family it was a Ford, in my cousin's family it was a Chevy, and I'll tell you, you know, those are fighting words. The truth is a Ford's better. That's the truth. There's no argument, right? But it's all relative. It's by comparison. And what we sometimes do with the truth of the Scripture is we compare, which weakens the truth when we do it by comparison. But truth cannot be found by comparison, like comparing cars and houses or elections. Truth comes in principle form, with conviction, unchanging. That's what the elder's talking about. That's what he's writing about. Because of the truth that's unchanging, I bring you greetings. And that truth involves the fact that there's only one way to the Father. The truth is, as we learn in John 14 and 6, when Jesus in discussion around the context of his disciples and people listening in said, I am the way, that's direction, I am the truth. That's not comparison. There's only one Jesus, only one Savior, and I am the life. Life eternal forever only through Jesus. This morning, friends, that's the truth. A little girl, three-year-old Katie, was, in, uh, was uh, taken to her um, pediatrician during a recent bout of the flu. She's only three. And so the physician was examining her ears, and he asked, will I find Big Bird in there? No, Katie said. Then before examining her throat, he said, Will I find the cookie monster in there? All these comparative terms for a three-year-old, right? No, Katie said. Finally, listening to her heart, the pediatrician asked, Will I find Barney in there? 
With innocent conviction, she looked at him directly in the eye and said, No, Jesus is in my heart. Barney is on my underwear. <laughs> we know who Jesus is the, as the truth. And how can we know this? One of the reasons the scripture confirms in John 15, John 14, verse 15, he writes, the same, uh, we understand the same author much earlier, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. And so in transition this morning, friends, we need the Father to guide us. We need the Father who instigated, who brought about, who created, who in agreement before the dawn of time with the Father, Son, and the Spirit agreed that Jesus would come and die for us and be raised for us. There was an agreement before ever any creation. Before the beauty of the universe was created, there was that companionship of the Trinity and the discussion, how should we do this? This Father is our guide and truth. The Father God. Keep his image in your mind as I read this illustration from Bill Hybels. Writing, remembering himself as a youngster. He writes this. When I was first learning to sail, my dad's sailboat out on the Lake Michigan, he would often say to me, go ahead, take the boat out, but take a friend with you. A 42-foot sailboat on a body of water the size of Lake Michigan is a big responsibility. But always up for the challenge, I'd find a junior high friend who'd accompany me and we'd sail past the breakwater, hoist the sails and head out into the open water. But as soon as I'd see any cloud formations coming our way or the wind seems to be piping up, I'd head back towards the shore, take down the sails, regain my normal breathing pattern only when I was safely uh, had the ship tied up in the slip. Now most of the time it was fun having a friend along, but in a storm I knew the kid wouldn't be much help. Other times, however, my dad would come from home from work and we'd go out together. When I was sailing with my dad, I'd actually look for cloud formations and hope for heavy air. I loved the feeling of the strong winds and the huge waves. My dad had sailed across the Atlantic. He'd endured five days of sailing through a hurricane. He was a veteran, and I was confident that he would be able to handle anything on Lake Michigan, anything it could throw at us. Everything changed when my dad was on board. The truth lives on in us. It's permanent. Secondly, this morning... The truth lives on, as we sang so beautifully today, the truth lives on in love. This is passion. I ask, he writes to the lady, I ask that you love one another. Verse 5b. And again, we find in 1 John 3.11, the, uh, the same thing, I'll not refer to it. I want to suggest, unfortunately in our culture, we've lost a sense of passion of really loving, even in the church, even in the fellowship, 
of caring for those who hurt, of caring for those who step aside differently in our, in our thoughts or our thinking or even our theology or our actions, or they fail, or they make a mess, and we fail to love. I think the way this writer is trying to tell the church, the truth lives on in love. Not too long ago, doing some research, I ran across an article that speaks to our day, as I've probably mentioned even the subject before. It's an article studying young adults, single adults, mostly men and women alike. A research was done on, on passion. A research was done on their ability to love and to care and to express passion. And it was done in the context of the study of pornography. And what is discovered in this day is because of that particular mm, experience and habit in the lives of children from the ages of 10 and 11 through until they're young adults, because of that experience of what they view in their privacy, in their privacy they've lost their ability to relate to the opposite sex. They are expressing in their young adulthood they can't have a relationship. They've lost the ability to be passionate, to love and to care, to think of the future, to think of permanence, to think of a relationship that will go on and on, like 50 years of marriage. They can't even, can't even figure it out anymore because of the sinful activities in their lives. How do we return to this love this morning that we can foster forgiveness and caring in the church? How do we get back to the idea in the church that we, we, we love each other, we, we talk gently to each other, we listen carefully to each other as we're in time of transition, as we're anticipating a new pastor? So that when that new pastor comes, he will be surrounded by love and the truth and by a caring group where the past experiences of tension are gone, forgotten, forgiven. The things done uh, in unfortunate ways are behind us and past. And we've fallen in love again with each other. Can we find ourselves this morning getting to that place as a church? Because of the truth, where there's grace, mercy, and peace. What is love in verse 6? And this is love, that we walk in obedience to His commands. Can we get there as a church? Can we get there better? Can we get there deeper? However it is in your experience this morning, we'll be sharing over the Lord's table. And I'm going to give an opportunity for quietness and silence before we take the table. And in that opportunity of quiet and silence, I want us to look and listen to the Spirit to make a simple prayer in our own hearts. Father, is there anyone I've got something against this morning here in my family? Do I need to speak to them? Do I need to forgive them? Do I need to give them a hug or a handshake or a greeting? Do I need to put the past behind me this morning? Think about it with me. I will bring you to that point around the table. Thirdly and lastly this morning, she, the writer John the Elder writes to the church and he says the truth lives on in our walk. That's progression, verses 4 to 6. That's moving somewhere. That's getting someplace. 
Verse 4 to 6, and he says, And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands, as you've heard from the beginning. His command is that you walk in love. The elder is excited about this church. He's writing to the lady saying, Good on you. He's saying, It's wonderful to see what's happened. It's wonderful to see the progression of what's happened in your lives and in the lives of your children. Good on you, he says to her. The lady is an example of mentoring and caring. The lady is an example of following Jesus. The lady is an example of the scripture, the commands that are laid down by the Father that we walk in obedience. Now, walking, as you know, and for those most of us here, gratefully, and I, I think about, as I get older, I think about the possibility of not being able to walk. My, my sister at this moment is in the hospital and can't walk, and she's younger than me, not able to walk. Walking is so critical, it's, but it's deliberate, right? Walking is deliberate, and that's what he's getting at. He's getting at the truth lives on in the deliberateness of your walk. It's the actions you deliberately do. It's the behavior we continually try. It's the repetition of the good things. Walking is not careless. Walking is not happenstance. Walking is deliberate. The psalmist writes in Psalm 26, the first couple of verses, Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind. For I've always been mindful of your unfailing love and have lived in reliance on your faithfulness. I do not sit with the deceitful, nor do I associate with hypocrites. I abhor the assembly of evildoers and I refuse to sit with the wicked. That is deliberate. That says to the culture, I'm not part of it. That says to the world around us that does not understand a relationship with Jesus, does not even, isn't even sure about God himself, that's me saying, sorry, I'm not part of that. I'm deliberately walking away from attitudes and behaviors that are part of our culture that go against Scripture. I am actively walking in a certain direction. I deliberately make choices of progress walking in the truth. And, friends, that deliberateness on your part, right, influences our kids and our grandkids. This week, this week, talking to one of our children, who was talking to one of their children not long ago. And in the conversation, there was a discussion about a particular lifestyle. And my kid said to their kid, it's never too late to be obedient. It's never too late to be obedient. It's never too late to change the direction of your walk. It's never too late to make amends. It's never too late to say to the Father, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Even for a guy my age, it's never too late. I was so blessed by the theology of our kid this week. The truth lives on in our walk. And it's modeled by those who watch us. Those who, who, some of you who've watched Vi over these many years, for whom she was a model of those following. That's what the elder is saying to this church and to us as Ebenezer. Friends, 
we need to live at the significance level this morning. Many of us do live in the success level, but there's a level higher, isn't there? To deal with the events of life, with all coming down the pipe, the things we can't predict, the things we can't know, living in the truth at the significance level. Shall we pray together? It is our Father, our privilege as a church over like churches for centuries to come into your presence on a day of worship, to experience your presence on this day of worship, to find your presence in our hearts speaking with us. Father, I pray this morning that you will hear us as you have so many times, that you will love us as you have for so long, and that you will challenge us to be the church in this day. For it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Let's worship together.